the ability to dream again. The ability to see things not as they are, but to see things the way they could be. If we could just go back to kind of when we were children and how we had these lofty and high dreams. And those dreams over a period of time have been dashed. They've either been dashed by our experiences. They've either been dashed by being, we've been told that we would never make it. We've been told that they would never be fulfilled. And so somewhere along the way, you and I have bought into the lie that we cannot be what we could potentially have been. Can you imagine what it would be like if we could dream again? If you could reach not only the potential that's within you, but if you could reach the God-given potential that He has gifted you with, if you could come out of the comfort zone that you have created, if you could walk out of the environment that the shelter where you feel comfortable, and if you could just step out in faith, dare to dream again. The reason that people don't succeed in life is not because they don't have opportunity. It's because they fail to seek opportunity and they fail in faith to walk out and seize the opportunity. Stories have been told time and time again of people who grew up not in the greatest environment. People that had everything going against them and yet they were able to face their odds head on. They were able to look at the opposition in the face and yet excel and exceed and to be better than anyone ever thought or imagined that they could. Potential is within us to be better. Yet some of us today will sit here and will say, well, I could never do this or I could never do Y or Z because I have already messed up in this way or I, you know, I, I, years ago I made this mistake or I, I ruined this relationship and now there's just no hope. If you believe you're defeated, you will always be defeated. If you believe that you can be more than conquerors through Christ, you will always be victorious. Yes, you will have setbacks. Yes, you won't always make the right decision. But as I've said time and time again, your attitude determines your outcome. What kind of dreams did you have? What kind of dreams have gone by the wayside? What kind of calling has God given to you, but yet in that dream that God has given to you, that passion, that thing that won't go away, you know the thing that's causing you to be emotional, the thing that you're sitting on the edge of the seat for, you don't know exactly what's happening in that moment. You don't know what's going on inside of you, but you know that God is dealing, you, dealing with you in a real and personal way. Maybe he's asking you to dream bigger than what you thought. Maybe he's wanting to, to expand your territory Maybe he's wanting you to do something that unless you trust him, you would never be able to accomplish in the first place. That's sort of what it means to walk in faith. In Ephesians chapter 4, the apostle Paul confronts the church at Ephesus. And the reason he confronts the church at Ephesus, now the church is very young at this stage in the game. But Ephesus is like all First Baptist churches and all Methodist churches and all Christian churches, like all the churches across time. 
There's a season in which there is faithfulness. There's a season in which people are growing in a relationship with God. And then there's these seasonal things that happen where that we're swayed by culture, we're swayed by influence, and so we don't always make the right decisions. And the Apostle Paul wants to remind the church at Ephesus that you had a life before Christ and you have a life now after Christ. And there's a difference in the before and after the advent of Jesus or the beginning of Jesus in your story. If you sit here this morning and say, I don't really, you know, I, I, there wasn't a drastic change. It's not like I, you know, I was a hellion before I came to Christ. I mean, I just have a different perspective. Well, let me, let me share them. You have more than a different perspective. You have more than more knowledge. You better be able to locate the fact that you have had a heart change that you have been reprogrammed that you have been reconditioned that you have been refashioned that you have been molded into something that you could have never become otherwise you see now you could take me this afternoon and you could put me upstairs in the children's room where they have all the arts and craft supplies and I could take those arts and craft supplies and I could do a piece of artwork. Now, some of you would say, that's not artwork, that's just trash. Well, you know, everybody's interpretation is art. So, uh, but I could, you know, I, could, I could do a piece of art. And I'm, I'm very careful not to say, make a piece of art. Because you and I don't have the ability necessarily to make things or create things. God alone creates things. We are not the creators of anything. You come up with a great idea, it's not yours. You come up with the next greatest invention, it's not your invention. Now, the government may say it's yours if you patent it. But there's a reason behind your thoughts. There's a reason behind your brilliance. There's a reason behind the relationships that you have. There's a reason behind your personality. There's a reason behind the passions that motivate you. And that reason is not because you read the right book. Or you studied hard, or you made the grade, or you knew the right people. It's because the right person knows you. It's because the right person has imparted, imputed his grace into your life. The reason that you are good at what you do is because the creator of the universe, whom you may have not even acknowledged to this point, believes in you and me far more then we believe in ourselves or we believe in him. The church at Ephesus had forgotten what it was about, this being a Christian, being a follower of Jesus, and they were going back to their old ways. How many of you have ever done that? Let me ask that again. How many of you? Thank you in the balcony. Thank you. I have a cheerleader upstairs. Um, How many of you have reverted to your old ways? You know, it's so easy to revert back to your old ways. Why? Because old ways were fun. You know, it's not fun when somebody spits in your face to, Jesus says I should love you. It's fun to take your fist and pound them in the face. That's what's fun. It gives you kind of exhilarating joy to be able to one-up them. I mean, am I wrong? No, I'm not. It's fun to sin. If it wasn't fun, we wouldn't have such a big problem with it. 
But the Apostle Paul writes, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you identify yourself with Christ, then your life should be different than what it was before he came into it. It should be different. There should be a difference in your walk before Christ and your walk after because Christ should affect you. You say, well, how, how can we break down the difference? Well, you know, like I said, I grew up in a, I've told you before, I grew up in a Christian home. Uh, I grew up with a silver spoon in my mouth. Um, I, you know, I didn't really know what, it, I've never known what it's like to really struggle financially or whatnot. And uh, those are the cards that I was dealt. And so I was always in church. So when I came to Christ at the age of nine, I mean, you know, I walked an aisle. I, I did pray to receive Christ. But I was always in church. God had always been a part of my life. I had never faced a time uh, in, my, in my family, immediate family, extended family, that we weren't involved spiritually with what God was doing. And so for me, you know, as I grew up, I, I began to wonder, well, was that real? What, what was the difference? And I began, I go back and I say that I know that I was saved at nine, and this is how I know. Because while there was not a black and white change a drastic change a polar opposite change between who i was before and after the difference was this i found that as i grew up the things that had bothered me the most suddenly didn't bother me as much anymore and the things that i didn't even know were on the horizon drove me absolutely mad spiritually God, when he refashions your heart, when he reprograms our hearts, he relocates some of our passions. And so, for those of you who were Tennessee fans yesterday, and, you know, I know I'm, I've got to tread, I'm treading lightly here. Uh, you know, you lost. And Alabama reigned. I know there's at least one person in this. Yeah, he's sitting in the back. Alabama, go Alabama. I, I don't have a, I have a dog in this fight. I, I'm all about Duke. Uh, but anyway, you know, he refashions us. He reprograms us. And so many of us that get so excited, for instance, you may have been, you know, when you look at when, when are you most passionate? For a lot of us, we're most passionate when our team is facing their biggest rival. And I mean, you know, I, I've, I've, you know, I've been to LSU games and whatnot, and you, and you see, I've seen church people, and they like come out of their shell. I mean, like they, like they're preaching in the stands. I mean, they're, they're trying to evangelize the referees. Now, they use different language than I use, but, you know, they're, 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 they're trying to speak truth uh, into the decision makers of the game. And I've seen them there on Saturday, and then I'll see them on Sunday, and they look like this on Sunday. When you come to Christ, it's the best thing in the world. It's out of the universe. So I'm just going to suggest to you that if you're more passionate, if you display more passion for a game than you do for the God who died for you, I'm just saying there might be a problem with that. I'm not saying don't be passionate about sports. I'm not saying don't be passionate about your favorite thing. 
But Tennessee and Alabama didn't die for you. Jesus did. Your passions change. I remember when I was first called to go to Africa. I did not know this, but my wife had been praying for the country of Rwanda since 1994, since genocide happened. We had never discussed it. If you would have asked me in 1994, in fact, I remember that there were some people that took up the calls in a high school about, and I think it was a, a model United Nations club, or it may have been in Amnesty International. We had an organization in our school. But at any rate, you had these ambassadors that were trying to fight for the rights of people all the way across the world. And I was like, why do we care what happens in Rwanda? We've got enough problems here. And some of you have said the exact same things. But the fact of the matter is that God is not just interested in the redemption of the people here. He is interested in the redemption of the entire world. And God wants the entire world to come together to worship Him. And there is a time and a day coming whether you have given credence and allegiance to Christ, whether you've pledged allegiance to the Lamb or not, you and I will fall down before God and we will worship Him on bended knee and we will proclaim to Him, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. We will fall before our face and He will be the object of our worship. He's not going to just be the object of worship for the Christians. He will be the object of worship for the atheists, for those who have turned against him, for those who have fought him all this way. Eventually, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Why? Because he is. The Apostle Paul in Ephesians is, a facing, is facing a church that is struggling with its identity, that's struggling with its dreams. Jesus had a dream, and the dream that Jesus had is that the entire world would come in right relationship with God the Father through the sacrifice that he gave on the cross. That was Jesus' dream. And the disciples and the apostles went out and they spread the good news about Jesus. And Paul went on missionary journeys and planted churches in the known world at the time all across. This is before Boeing existed. This is before the internet existed. This is before the automobile existed. This is when you went on foot, you went by ship. He'd been shipwrecked a number of times. And he sets up a church in Ephesus, a central location of trade. And this church flourishes it flourishes but it goes back to its old ways and so what I would say to us today is don't walk the way you used to don't be involved in the life that you used to be involved with before Christ the life before must be different than the life after and if it's not that's for you to examine you really need to look in the mirror and peek into the depths of your soul and ask yourself if your life is not different as a result of Jesus intersecting your life and coming into your heart, then maybe you just dreamed a dream and you've not begun to live the reality. See, it's not about knowing about him. I keep harping on this because so many of us speak about, well, I know Jesus, I know all these things about him. It's about knowing him. 
The Bible speaks in Ephesians chapter 4 that there was a hardening of hearts. And his, here's, here's kind of a litmus test of whether you're in, in fellowship with Christ and if you're growing in your relationship with Him. Because if you're stagnant or you are, are backsliding, here's an example. Ask yourself if your heart is hardening. You say, well, what does that mean? Here's what it is. When a heart hardens or when you harden, your heart gets hardened, it means that you are less sensitive to the things of God. Suddenly, things don't matter much anymore. You kind of just, you just kind of go through life, you know, if you, if, you, if you make this mistake, if you make that mistake, if you sleep here, if you sleep there, I mean, what used to be a big deal to you is no longer a big deal. It didn't, you, know, you don't just have, you don't feel anguish when you do wrong. You don't feel anguish when you are morally abrupt. You feel detached. You feel nothing. There's no motivation. You feel like the Holy Spirit is absent from you. You don't feel like God's in you. And you feel like you're in the desert by yourself. And when you make a wrong decision that you know that in your past you would have thought is wrong, now suddenly it doesn't matter anymore. It's the subtlety like this. How many of you, um, when in the 19, late 1970s, early 1980s, used to watch Dallas on Friday nights? Great. I knew this would relate. If you're a teenager, you don't know what I'm talking about. The new Dallas, don't even think about it. Uh, but the, the, the old Dallas, now here's what, here's what it was. I used to watch... Dukes of Hazard at 8 o'clock, because I love the cars. It was only when I became a teenager and watched the episodes, there was more to that show than just cars. But anyway, that's all another story, another sermon for another day. But there was Dukes of Hazard at 8 o'clock, there was Dallas at 9, and there was Falcon Crest at 10. And that's what our family watched. So we would go out to eat at 5, we would go to the mall at 6. At 7.30 we were in the car to be home by 8 so I could watch Dukes of the Hazard. And when I went to the mall, I would always get like a Matchbox car to crash while I'm watching television. That was my weekly routine, that was our tradition in my family. And so, you know, I watched Dallas, and my parents, you know, there were, my grandparents were like, I cannot believe you're letting your child watch Dallas. I remember those conversations. And it was, it was kind of... Kind of risque, I guess, but I, I got some episodes of that uh, some years ago, and I watched all the episodes, and I'm like, this is so cheesy. Like, the relationships are fake, and like, the bedroom scenes, uh, it was like, leave it to Beaver. Uh, it, it was sort of like, you know, they, they have like this long negligee, they don't show any skin, and you know Jr. is a womanizer. Now, you know that, and you know that he sleeps around, but they kind of leave it to your imagination and to your dreams, but then you and I can flip on primetime this week. We can watch Survivor, Have Mercy. Uh, we can watch this, this, this season's episode, Have Mercy. That's all I got to say. Uh, but you, you can turn on primetime, and what used to be left to the imagination is now visual out on the screen. I'm like, are you kidding me? Can we really do this? Yes, I guess we can do this on national television. And we become desensitized to the immorality that's around us. Let's talk about video games. <laughs> when I was your age, I had a Nintendo. I loved playing Donkey Kong. I loved Super Mario Brothers 1, 2, and 3. I had Zelda, uh, Legend of Zelda. And they were, they were cute little games. They were fun strategy games. There was no gruesome grossness to it. Now, let's chop the heads off and watch the blood ooze. 
Um, if, you're, if you're one of those unfortunate people that gets something like Grand Theft Auto in all of its glory, and the purpose is to kill police officers and sleep with prostitutes and take money here, there, and yonder, this is the kind of games that your children and grandchildren are asking for Christmas. Be careful what you buy, what you allow into your house. But what happens is we're desensitized. Used to be, you would turn on television, let's say you'd watch Magnum P.I. That was a private investigator show. There were guns in it. There was the A-team. Everybody got shot, but no one got hurt. You know what I'm saying? Like there were explosions. You know what I'm saying? There were explosions and no one got hurt. Now when I turn on Law & Order SVU, they not only tell you what happened, they show you how a child was abused. They show you the gruesomeness of blood and guts and gore. And this is what happens. You and I become desensitized so that when a child or a student brings in a gun to a high school this week and goes on a shooting rampage in the lunchroom and when someone's interviewed about it, they say this, that's just life. That's life? No, that's a result of us becoming desensitized to the things around us. Violence, it it no longer affects us. We've accepted it as the norm. And we wonder why there's so much domestic violence in the homes. We wonder why our kids kill each other. We wonder why blood and guts don't affect us anymore. We wonder why Christians sleep around so much. We wonder why people are struggling with their sexuality. Why? Because our culture celebrates immorality. And we in the church, while we're interested in the shining light of Christ, shining into our hearts, On Sunday, we're allowing the devil to creep into our hearts and minds and soul Monday through Saturday through watching the television screen. And I'm guilty, listen, I'm guilty of this. So I don't want you to think I'm preaching at you and telling you, oh, it's a struggle because sin is fun. Sin is fun. But I don't think that if you and I really thought, and this is, this is something I'm really struggling with. I'm kind of I'm sharing my experiment here. What would I do? How would my life be different if Jesus was behind my shoulder at every moment? How would my conversations be different? How would my interaction with peers be different, with friends be different, with family be different? What would I watch? What would I not? You say, Todd, this is ridiculous. I mean, you can't, I mean, you can't be that. You've you got to be in the world and not of the world, but you can't be so secluded that you don't relate to culture. I think we relate to culture very well. Look at our lives. Look around you. The Apostle Paul warned Don't walk the way you used to walk. Set up boundaries of what you're going to allow and what you're not going to allow in your home. Be careful what you celebrate. Be careful what games you play. Because somewhere, sometime, someone will dream a dream. 
And the dream that they dream will be a result of the reality that they've seen played out in video games and other things. And that dream, that experience becomes real to them. That's how a normal popular kid can walk into a high school and start shooting. Now I'm not saying that happens in every situation. I'm not saying he's not at fault. He's responsible for his actions. We all are. But I am saying you and I need to be more... We need to scrutinize the culture that we live in. We need to be careful about what we allow. The Apostle Paul, don't walk the way you used to in verse 17. Then in verse 23 he says, Allow yourself to be renewed. To be reprogrammed. Allow God to control your thoughts. Allow, your, allow God to control your actions. Allow God to become your only desire. The reason that we fail so much is because we trust in Him so little. The reason that you and I can't get out of our funk, so to speak, is because we don't dare to dream the dream that he has for us. We want what we want. And we want it now. We're used to having our way. Because that's the American way. Celebrate our independence. Woohoo! You can be as independent as you want to be. I will celebrate your diversity. And I will celebrate your independence. As long as you and I understand one critical thing. Our independence is an absolute dependence on God. When you and I attempt to go through life independently, independent of morals, independent of Him, it's no wonder our lives end up in so much muck. It's no wonder our marriage is on the verge of extinction. It's no wonder that we have problems and conflicts and we can't resolve them. How can you resolve conflicts with others when you and I can't resolve conflicts from within? It's about the heart. Has it been hardened? The things that you used to be sensitive about. And see, that's why I love children. Because children have such tender and sensitive hearts. I can look at my daughter wrong, sternly. And she falls to pieces. But over time, as I do that, she will develop a mechanism to be able to deal with that. And so my stern look won't have the effect that it once had. Why? Because she is becoming desensitized to the issue that I'm presenting to her. The goal of the Christian life is to become childlike in our faith, sensitive, moldable. Children are precious things because they have not been susceptible to the culture. They've not been baptized by the world long before they're baptized by Jesus. But you and I have. The Christian life is a calling out of the ordinary. It's a calling out of the world. It's a calling into a relationship with Christ that's radically different. Listen, 
God's motivation, God's desires, God's ultimate plan for you is far different most of the time than what your guidance counselor is going to tell you, than what your self-help book is going to tell you. Because God's vision of what He wants in us is far greater than we could ask or imagine. And He's seeking to accomplish His kingdom's work through us. But if you and I are struggling on a day-to-day basis, if we have a hardened heart, if we've been desensitized, if we're not sensitive to the movement of the Holy Spirit anymore, that's the reason that many of us could say today, I haven't heard God in years. It's not because you don't have ears. It's not because you don't have a heart. Could it be that your heart's been hardened and you can no longer hear the still small voice of God. He's speaking. He wants you. And today my hope and my prayer as you came into this sanctuary was that the wall that has been crowded around your heart that's been devouring your hopes and your dreams, been squashing your ambitions, been squashing your passion. It's kept your heart from growing a God-sized life. I'm praying that that wall is completely shattered, obliterated, and you leave it here. And you go home renewed, refreshed, reprogrammed, because God has more for you than you have ever could imagine or dream of. Would you dare to dream a bigger dream? To put on a new self. Because today is a new day. Quit wearing yesterday's outfit. Quit pursuing yesterday's dreams. Quit focusing on yesterday's failures. Look at Jesus. The author and finisher of faith. Look where you are headed. Look. No, look, look where you're going. Know who's got your back and pursue excellence in all things how is your heart is there a difference between your life before Christ and your life after Christ Philippians 2 verses 5 through 11 a great probably one of the first hymns ever recorded in scripture in the New Testament anyway says let the same mind be in you or let the same attitude be in you that was in Christ Jesus that needs to be our prayer God give me the same mind give me the same dream help me dream as Jesus dreamed Help me not be so pulled down by the world. Help me not be so squelched by the culture that we live in. Help me not. Help me, help me, help me, help me, God, to be the person that you have called me to be. Help the church be the people that you have called her to be. Many of you are workers in the body of Christ. And you have calluses on your hands from the work that you do. We'll have Treat Street this week and many of you will work and work and work. And you'll give your energy and your effort. And so many of us work ourselves until we're in a tizzy. And you've got the calluses on your hands to show for it. But the calluses that you and I have 
should be on our knees. As a result of seeking the face of God. And telling him, I am yours. Do with me as you will. Wherever you tell me to go, I'll go. Whatever you tell me to say, I'll say. Whatever you want me to accomplish, I will accomplish. I will do the impossible. Do you know why? Because God did the impossible for us. Nobody thought it was possible. It was impossible. It's impossible to be crucified. It is impossible to be crucified and resurrected. But we know and we believe that it can happen. The odds may be against us. The cards may be stacked in a certain way. It may not be within our scope of reason and logical understanding. But it is within the scope of Jesus to change a life, transform a soul. And take one who was adamantly opposed to the gospel, the good news of Jesus, who cursed God, who didn't want anything to do with God. It is possible for that person to go from lostness to holiness. Not because they worked, but because he worked in their life. Just like he's worked in yours and in mine. Jesus is not finished. He has only begun. And so I challenge you to go back. Go back to your childhood. Crawl out of the wall that has entangled your heart. The wall that maybe you put up or just went up at some point. And dare to dream again. But this time when you dream. Couple that dream. With the will of Christ. And you go out in the world. And you and I change the world. Christ changes the world through us. When we make ourselves available to him. God's not finished with you. He has only begun. Dream big. Don't be defeated. Don't give up. Don't surrender. Because he's not given up on you. And he did not surrender. He willingly chose to die for you and for me and for a world that may even reject him. He did the impossible for you and for me. So who are we to say that we can't? Who are we to say, I can never do that? Because the person that's got, us, got our back is the one who created the world and suspended it in space at the right location, at the exact place, the exact degree, the exact angle, the exact optimal place in space that life could flourish. If it was altered just a degree, life as it exists would not exist. This God who fine-tuned the world who created all things knows your situation 
knows your problem, knows your dreams, knows your nightmares, knows your anxiety, knows your fears, knows your worries, knows your hurts, knows your pains. He knows you. And he wants you to be able to play again. He wants you to make beautiful music again. He wants you to thrive again. Not just survive, but thrive. Will you dream with me? But more importantly, will you dream with him? Your story is not over. Our story has only begun. But if you find yourself here today and you say, God, I feel, Todd, I feel like my heart is so far away from the things of God. The only way you know that is because the Holy Spirit is speaking to you. The only thing that you can do about that is by coming to Him. Coming to Him. Being honest before God. And saying, you know what, God, I, I have messed up. And, and He knows that you've messed up, but what He wants is your willingness to come, to be honest, to be transparent, to be authentic. And he wants to take your dirty rags and the filth and the scum. And he wants to make you into a new creation with a renewed spirit, a renewed interest, a renewed body, reprogrammed fresh and new. So that you'll be more sensitive to the things of God sensitive to the things of the world so that you and I will make the right decisions at the right time in the right places with the right people so that he can work through us to redeem the entire world to bring them the saving knowledge of Jesus. That's his ambition. That's his cause. That's his banner. What's your dream? Seize this moment and pursue him. With all you've got. Let's pray. Lord we come to you today in this invitation. And we say God. I've been so distant. I feel like you're so far away from me. I, I don't feel like I hear you. I don't feel like I'm. I don't feel like I'm in right. Relationship with you. And yet God is. Gently speaking and calling. Do you hear his voice today? Some of us are so desensitized. We've gone through life with trouble and we've built up a wall. It's just kind of crowded in into our emotions and our heart. And we, what once, when once we could be moved, we're just plain Jane. Nothing motivates us. We're just stale. Our heart's been hardened. At the root of the problem, at the heart of the matter, is the matter of the heart. Lord, today if there's someone in this place that wants to receive Christ maybe for the first time, they want to surrender their, their heart to Jesus, I pray in this invitation that they'll come. Lord, if there's others who have hardened hearts today and they've been just going through a funky season of just mess and chaos and they just need your tender touch Lord this altar is open for us to respond for us to be honest to be transparent to be authentic 
Maybe there's someone else here that wants to be an integral part of First Baptist Church and they feel compelled today through the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit said, this is where I want you to flourish. This is where I want you to serve. This is where I want you to bloom. And so today they want to say, we're here. Here I am, Lord, send me. God, may we be your vessels. May we be your servants. Lord, we refail. We ask for forgiveness. We seek your grace. And I pray as we repent and we turn from the ways of old, when the old nature has creeped into the new life and has taken, taken the energy and vivaciousness away, God, spiritually renew us in these moments. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. As we stand, if you're here this morning, you need to respond. Respond to the gospel. Respond to the Holy Spirit. Be faithful. Won't you come just as you are?